You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. We're approaching 500 episodes of all the different podcasts that we have on the on this channel. And really, tell your friends to subscribe, tell your friends to listen. We got tons of different material and we're super happy that you're here today. The day after a famous cold cowfield goal that will go down in history. I don't think I've heard the siren go off like that since Lekonen's Stanley Cup clinching goal or P.K. Subban's breakaway against Boston. It's me, Patrick Bexel, and I'm joined by none other than Matt Drake of Bottom Six Minutes. Yes, sir. How are we doing today? I'm, I'm Well, as you can hear, I'm catching a cold, so uh, lots of hot tea here. How about yourself? I'm doing terrific. Uh, can't be better after seeing a game like that last night. Yeah, I'm surprised you're still on earth, man. <laughs> uh, we are also joined by the fugitive somewhere in Europe. We're not really sure when. And I've just heard that it will be even more explorations of Europe and the world uh, continuing, continuing this fall. Uh, welcome to the pod, Anton. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're working from your computer, why not just, you know, make make the world your home place? Like uh, working from might your as computer well. or running from Interpol. We're not sure. Yeah, exactly. You're not sure, yeah. but, but you know. It's I'm, I'm just thinking, like, if Interpol was actually after me, they would probably have caught up with me by now because I have to show my passport every time I go in and out of the country, so... But do you show your passport? You have, you have fake several one? fake passports. We all know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mister. Like I have a fake mustache as well, so obviously. And gla- different glasses and all that. Yeah, we know. Mm. We've seen we've seen all the spy movies, but we're we're mm. friends with the spy, more or less. That's what we're saying. Uh, anyways, uh, first and foremost, let's start with with the obvious one. Uh, there are two obvious things for for Montreal Canadiens and the NHL right now, and that's. Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. Uh, I don't know what we're going to call them, uh, but in general, but first and foremost, Cole Caulfield on the pace for 50 goals. Uh, Matt, you have the <laughs> countdown at 11 and it's 39 to go. Um, I think they have to well, enlarge I was... the, the uh, high danger area with his shot because he can shoot from literally anywhere. Yeah, and I, I actually have the countdown at 29 because we were counting down to, to 40. Yeah, but we might right. need to Sorry. revise it and, and, and you know, do the countdown to 50. I mean, it's it's a good point that you bring up there. We're only 39 away. He's on pace for 50. The crazier thing is that his centerman, Nick Suzuki, is also on pace for 50. This team hasn't had a 40-goal scorer since Vincent Danfus in, what, in 93, right? And they might have two of them this season. Now, I think Caulfield's the more likely out of the two to get to 50. I was going like to say, like, I was gonna say, like Nick, anyway. Suzuki, Nick Suzuki's shooting percentage is kind of like, I mean, it's not going to be sustainable, is it? it? I think it will go down. The question is, how far will it slide? Yeah. On the other hand, I'm thinking also about Nick Suzuki. What is he? He's more or less a point per game or point two per game, 1.2 per, points per game player at the moment. Because... The vision he has and the skills he has to delivering the puck to someone that can score, insane. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's refreshing to finally have two guys that can score at this rate. And if they can keep this up, they're in for one of the better seasons that they've had from, from, you know, a duo of forwards in forever. Right. We were talking about it in the EOTP chat yesterday. I think you'd have to go back to like when they had Donfuss, Um, And that's pretty much the last time I think of that. Who, who was the last like really elite scorer that they had in general? It was probably Kovalev. Like th- this team just hasn't seen that kind of skill level up front in a while. And, you know, it's, it's great for the rebuild. If they keep this up, all they got to do is build around them, get some sustainable secondary scoring and they're golden. Yeah, yeah. And they obviously have guys like Mike Hoffman who can score secondary goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's also, um, as, as we mentioned with Toffoli as well, he said, I saw these guy play, guys playing together in the bubble and I wanted to play with them. You create that atmosphere, you create, especially with with the coach as Martin Saint Louis, and and you can draw some of that talent into Montreal. Yeah, I think those two are going to be a selling feature for potential free agents in the future, and the fact that you know, I guess we got to have that conversation is what's Caulfield going to sign for, right? Mm -hmm. Suzuki's deal kind of gives him an internal cap where he can't get that much more than Suzuki, right? Unless he goes and scores 60 goals this season, he's not going to be able to come and ask for $10 million on the next contract. So he's going to be somewhere around what Suzuki is. The cap's going to go up. So not only are those two players going to attract more talent to come and play for Montreal because they're going to want to be a part of what's going on there, but at the same time, the fact that you're going to be able to get them both at reasonable dollar, it's going to open up opportunities for you to be able to sign those players, to be able to go after some more marquee free agents. So I'm excited to see what they signed Caulfield at, but more than that, just excited to see these guys continue on their season because if they do, man, it, it is such a good sign for the rebuild. It also feels like if you can get, like you got with Suzuki, if you can get the max uh, max amount of years, you really should do it for Caulfield because I, I don't... Barring injuries, I don't see him slowing down. Uh, it just feels like now he's really, he had his, you know, his lull last season with Ducharme. And, and you know, what came out this week about like Ducharme and, and like that whole, you know, experiment, we can call it with Dominic Ducharme. Oh. It just feels <laughs> ever more that, you know, like Cole Caulfield has scored at every level. He He's just going to get better and better. And if you can sign him for some, something along like eight times eight, that would be just terrific business by, by Hughes and Gordon. Because if you can have two players at that level and that Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield are playing right now, who are like 22, um, Cole Caulfield is going to tw- turn 22 in, in January. Um, and you can have them locked up for like a combined number of below 16 million. That would be just you know, great. As you say, like the cap will continue to rise and you have a lot of players who are, you know, kind of like on, on salaries around four or five million. You have Drouin and you have um, guys like uh, Mike Hoffman, um, Joel Edmondson, and those guys aren't going to be around forever, but now you can start building on the younger guys instead. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent, like buy as many of the UFA years as he's willing to, to let you buy. And if it costs a little bit more, that's fine, right? I'm 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 I mean, okay like, if he comes in. You you just don't want to end up in the Toronto situation. No, no. But then again, that's going to require you to have people at ten plus, right? Yeah, and uh, also, Toronto's got how many guys at ten plus right now? Three. That's their their three guys at ten plus, right? That's a lot. That's a lot of money tied up in three players. Uh, you can add in a couple of other players, and you got like half your cap tied up in what five six players. Like it's. 
that's that's where it becomes problematic, I think. And I don't think that the Habs are in that kind of a situation. I think they could be if they wait too long to sign Caulfield, though. Because, like, what if he goes on an absolute tear and ends up scoring 60? I'm not saying he's going to. But what if, right? His agent's going to waltz into the negotiating room and just slap a number down on the table and be like, meet this number. Or, you know, we can go a different direction. And then all of a sudden, you've got some contentious negotiations going on with him. You know, you don't want to be in like arbitration situations like you were with P.K. Subban back in the day. We saw what happened with that contract as a result of some nasty arbitration. I think they got to get this done as quickly as possible so that, you know, like Anton said, if you can get them both somehow under 16 mil total between the two of them, you're cooking. Yeah, indeed you are. And and it's it's fantastic to see them. It's fantastic to see the chemistry that they have as well. And I mean, there were two, um, albeit I wasn't up, there might have been more, but for, for two assists that Suzuki had yesterday, both of them were fantastic in their own way. You got mm. the uh, IC. Um, I have a VHR screen on, or what is it, a, a virtual reality screen, a head-up display on my visor, so I can see all over the ice and and put the puck um, right where it needs to go. Was it Mas- Madison that that scored right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, he he's he he literally has eyes in his neck. To spot yeah. that one, and well, then you have like the, there's, then you have the there's people arguing in the dying second that just goes. It's a laser beam between two club sticks and 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 skates, or two pair of of skates, insane as well. Yeah, there's a lot to dissect in both of those passes. Like, there's people arguing on, like, I posted the clip of the pass to Matheson, right? And, like, I think he was looking for Matheson the entire way. There was too much mustard on that pass for it to have been to Cole Caulfield. Cole Caulfield was right there. If he was trying to hit Cole, he would have just feathered that, and it would have just sat there nice for Cole to hammer it. But Cole had a bad angle, and I think he was looking for Matheson the entire time. Because if you relook at that clip... You'll see that, yeah, he turns and he kind of looks at Brendan Gallagher, but he also like cranes his neck a little bit just to do a quick check and see who's behind. And sure enough, Mike Matheson's there and he gets it to him. So that pass was fantastic. And I think that was intentional. And then you look at the, uh, of course, the one to Cole Caulfield. Nobody would have blamed Nick Suzuki if he just threw a prayer of a shot from the half wall in that situation. There was three seconds left on the clock when he got the puck. And still, he has the balls to look across and make that pass through a lot of sticks and skates. Like, and be sure it, it's incredible. Caulfield nets it as well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you gotta like Caulfield's chance to net one of those. Though. When you get a cross ice pass like that, that was what I put in the article today that I wrote. I was like, you know, a lot of people are talking about what, you know, is what they're doing right now sustainable? Is their on ice shooting percentage sustainable? Will you tell me what is the likelihood of an elite pass like that cross ice with two seconds left on the clock towards an elite shooter, what's the, what's the probability of that going into the net? You can't mathematically figure that out because you're talking about a lot of skill and maybe a little bit of luck. And frankly, a a lot of foresight on on behalf of the center that through the pass. I mean, again, I think at least nine out of 10 players are probably just throwing that on net and praying that it goes in. That's the thing. Like Suzuki is the tenth out of ten players. That's what he's shown in the beginning of the the, the season. Like I, I was one of the people who were thinking that he would, on a 
good team he would be a really great second line center and that was probably where he was going to cap out and and what what he's showing now at the beginning of the season is that he's ready to actually lead this team that he's ready to to be something more that he's ready to be you know something to gravitate towards as a first line center and and to do that with the pressure of being uh, a newly appointed captain, uh, the youngest in in a long time, or if it even is, you know, the youngest for for eternity in Montreal, it's just like it, it seems like nothing shakes the guy, and that's what's the most impressive of all. And I could just you know think back like uh, four years, and uh, when when Mark Bergevin really wanted Cody Glass as part of the uh, the trade, Max Pacioretty trade. I'm so uh-huh. happy. I'm so happy that they actually got Nick Suzuki, even if it was, you know, a little bit by luck. But it's just you look at, you know, that Vegas first draft. They got Cody Glass, Eric Brenstrom, and and uh, Nick Suzuki. And you know, if it, like if we look back at that draft, Nico Hischer went first overall, and Nolan Patrick went second overall. Yeah, in a redraft today, Nick Suzuki would definitely be going top three. Yeah, that, that's for sure, and. Uh... And lucking out in, in that regard. Sorry, Miro Heiskanen and Kale McCarr went third and fourth. So maybe Suzuki would go top five. He would probably go top... Still go top, top three, though. No, he, should, he sure. I think he sure would go before as well. Like yeah, El- Elias Pettersson as well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, with the season I mean, that Canucks has now, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Elias wow. is good though. I like him. I've always been a huge fan of Mira Heiskanen, so I might be partial to those two. Um, and we we've seen what McCarr can do. So, you know, I one of my friends at work or colleagues at work, uh, she's a huge Colorado Avalanche fan. So there's a big picture of Kale McCarr when I and whenever I enter our uh, our office, should exchange it to a picture of Lekkonen. Yeah, I would probably have to do that. Um, yeah. Looking forward, though, I know a lot of us in 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 the fan section of, of Montreal were hoping for a high draft pick. Um, obviously, there is still potential for this, but but yeah, it's looking slimmer by the minute, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, look, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. They're they're not there yet, but they're going to be close enough that a top five pick is not going to be very realistic. Now, of course, the lottery can change a lot of things. I mean, you can jump, right? So maybe they finish, I don't know, eighth or ninth last and, and they jump up into the top five. What's the max you can move up like four or five spots? I think it's 10 um, spots. Is it 10 spots? I okay, think it's maybe I don't Maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, though, they're, I don't think they're going to finish bottom five and have those those solid odds. The odds of them getting a top five pick aren't great. But what I would say to anybody who's, you know, on Team Tank, Tank Nation, whatever we're calling them, is even if they don't get a top five pick, this draft in 2023 is so goddamn strong. You're going to get a, as long as your scouting is on point, you're going to get a really good player no matter where you are in the top 20. So I would say if they end up with, say, I don't know, 11th overall, and then you also have Florida's pick and then whatever else you can add at the uh, deadline, right, right they still have a chance. 13th overall and 16th overall with Florida. 13th and 16th. 13th and 16th would be great. And plus, you still have the opportunity to add more, right? 
I think there's going to be teams who are dumb enough to trade away their first round pick um, to try and go for it this year. And I think the Habs have some pieces that could help that. So I think they're going to add, I, I would expect they have at least one more. So I think they're going to have a third pick in that first round as well at some point. I don't know whose it's going to be, but I think they're going to have three. So you don't need to have a top five pick in this draft. If your scouting is good, you're going to get good players everywhere in that first round. It's, it's just the facts. And I, I wouldn't be worried about the fact that they're not going to be in the top five. I, I would just try to enjoy the ride and, and enjoy how some of the young players are coming up in this organization right now. Yeah. And we've also seen like what you can do, as you said, with good scouting and obviously a little bit of luck because you'd never really know. Like, yeah. obviously <laughs> if you go for a top five pick, there is a bigger probability of that player becoming, you know, a quality NHLer. but like, When you come down to 25, 33, 62, I'm just, you know, 26 was it maybe, Philip Mejar, but I'm just looking at it. All of those three players that Montreal picked outside of the, you know, at, at those spots this year are over a point per game in their uh, respective, mm-hmm. you know, seasons. So it could be a stroke of luck. We don't know because it's obviously a new regime in Montreal, but like it looks like the scouting is more, you know, It's it's more on par with what you would want. We see also players like Cedric Gandon and um, uh, Vincent Rohrer doing really well. Uh, Jared Davison is doing really well as well, even if he's a little bit older. So yeah, um, as you said, like if you have three first round picks and and you already, as we've spoken about now with this young core, we see like obviously Slavkovsky has a little bit more to grow into his body, and, and you know, but. There, the tools are there and we see the young defensemen we see Caulfield and Suzuki yeah there is a lot to like already and if you can add you know a couple of first round picks additional like obviously it would be great if one of them was Connor Bedard but like if if that's not going to be the case there is still tons of players to like in this upcoming draft uh, I like that you're yes. forgetting Adam Engstrom who is uh, you know tearing it up in the under 20s in seven games he has 13 points, four goals, nine assists, and he'll probably be stable into uh, stable. Yeah, but th- into... that's that's Sweden, so it doesn't count. Nah, that's true. Yes, yeah. but he's <laughs> and he's and he's not Jordan Zimes. So, um, <laughs> look, they're they're in a good spot right now. I just don't. I I, I feel like a lot of people are, are freaking out about the fact that they're not going to get that top five pick. And yeah, it's it sucks to not get Connor Bedard, but like, did anybody watch the one game that they've played against Arizona? Do you think like does anybody legitimately think that that the Habs are worse than Arizona? Well, like unless they intentionally lose their games by shooting on their own net. If they tell Cole Caulfield, "Hey, we want you to score 40, but we want you to score them on the wrong net." That's the only way that they're going to out-tank a team like Arizona. The, the fact I'm, I'm is sorry that Arizona to... is sixth from the bottom right now. So so Yeah, so... they're they're not even that bad and the Habs yeah. are clearly It's Anaheim, better. San Jose, Columbus, Ottawa, Buffalo, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, weird that Ottawa's down there. I don't think that's going to last. I think they'll eventually come back up. I'd like to clown them a little bit on Twitter, but, you know, I, I think they'll come back up. But the Habs just aren't in that. They're not in that bracket of of some of the worst teams in the league right now. They're they're better than that. And, I mean, look, even when you take, you know, 14-15 range, sometimes when you draft 14-15 range, sometimes you get Cam York, sometimes you get Cole Caulfield. Ask the Flyers how they're feeling about that right now. I mean, it's going to be even better this year in this draft the 14 15 all the way down to like 25 there's very good players in there that are going to get overlooked and you mentioned it as well there's an aspect of luck right the Habs lucked out when the Flyers chose Cam York over Cole Caulfield 
there's an alternate universe where Philly makes the right choice and they're the ones benefiting from Cole Caulfield scoring right now. Yeah. Or, so or you can it, say it with with Owen Beck, who yeah. they, they took Manshar and hoped that Beck would probably be there uh, yeah. at the start of the second round and they got it. But there were still yeah, what it, six six teams between? Yeah, yeah, and if you take back, if you take back in the first round, I bet Meshar doesn't make it back around to you. He's probably gone to somebody else at the tail end of that first. Yeah. And when you again, aspect of luck there, right? It's like you took a gamble, it worked out, you got both players that you wanted to get. Uh, and everyone it's, was you saying have the that same chance Lane, this Lane. Yeah, it was the same with Lane Hudson. Apparently, like, you know, they were doing some kind of chicken race. I thought I think we talked about that on like the last time on the podcast. Uh, like everyone was kind of like, who's going to pick him? Who's going to take him? Because obviously he was the most talented guy, but he's just like, you know, he has his diminutive stature. Like he, he's so small. So like, yeah, and Montreal lucked out at getting him at 62 as well. So, and now, now we look at it like Florida obviously traded their first round pick for Ben Chirot, and Now they are like one point ahead of Montreal in the standings, which is, you know, potentially two lottery picks. If it, you know, if it continues like this, even if it's not going to yep. be high, high percentage lottery picks, it's still, you know, like finding money. lottery picks. Yeah. The, go, going forward, though, and, and, and moving on into development, because that's a huge part of the organization right now. We're looking at AHL. Rocket are, yeah, I don't know what the Rocket are doing. I actually don't know what the is doing. And, and, and that is the problem right now. Because and I, I put this one in the chat, so I'm going to ask you again, both of you: Can you have a, a good AHL team that is still a good development team, or or does one cancel the other one out? So if you want a good <laughs> development you can team, have a good, a good, you can't good. have no, 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 a good a good AHL team or vice versa, where you got no, of course you can, of, of course you can have an, of course you can have a good AHL team. That's also, you know, uh, you know, developmental and, you know, where, where people are growing. We're seeing that with the NHL team right now, where Martin Saint-Louis puts, you know, a lot of effort um, on, on develop, de- development uh, in players and, and still, you know, manage to be over 500 um or, or right at 500 after 18 games. So I think that the like the problem is partly you know coaching and and the fact is that um, Jean-François Houle is one of the few things that are left from the Bergevin regime. And I can imagine that in the knots like during the season, I, I can imagine that Jeff Gordon and uh, Kent Hughes will look to replace him because they find someone who aligns more with the way they want to development um the 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 way they want to develop uh the youth in in laval the god of mischief is back and better than ever loki 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 Loki. wow great to see you again critics agree loki season two is marvelous great and it's finally here how much do you know Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. And and I can see that, but I also think that if if you're developing the youth properly, you're you're gonna have to give them a long leash where they make these mistakes and they learn from them. And and that's why I don't see 
a lot of AHL teams are borderline NHL or playing in them, or, or they are the first line might as well play in the NHL. And that's not a development for them. That's what I'm saying. I understand what you're well, saying, but uh, yeah, sorry, Matthew. Like, I don't think that Laval's doing bad necessarily in terms of development at this point. Like, Xavier Simono is, is having a really good season down there. Um, I, I, they, obviously, they're not super strong, and, and there's questions around Hood right now. Are they thinking about firing him? And this was a question that was brought up yesterday, right, in the EOTP Slack chat where we were talking about, you know, are they avoiding sending your Slavkovsky down there because they're thinking about firing the coach? You're not going to send your first overall pick down somewhere where there's a coach that you're potentially going to be firing soon. Um, and my son just walked in, so why don't we ask him? Wyatt, what do you think about uh, Jean-Francois Hull? He doesn't care. He wants to put a Spider-Man mask on. So. Oh, I thought he was still in dinosaur age. <laughs> Nope, Spider-Man. Uh, All right. <laughs> anyways, um, Ull, whether he goes or stays, uh, I don't think that they're necessarily doing a bad job right now. But I think, you know, the organization wants to win games down there. They want to get into the playoffs. They want to get some of their young players' experience down there in the playoffs. We saw last year how valuable that was for some of the young guys that they have in the organization. I think that's what they're looking for. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if he's getting that job done, so he might end up uh, – getting fired and we'll see if that changes anything but for now i think they're fine like i look at simono and i think that's encouraging there, there are good signs down there and scott brought it up as well that you know there's a lot of games where they're out shooting and out chancing the opponents and still losing so they're kind of finding ways to lose um I'm, I'm a little bit i guess more reserved in terms of my judgment of him as a coach because i i, I see positive signs so i'm kind of okay with what's going on down there uh but of course you'd, you'd like them to win more games there are, you know, what are we doing with, with uh, Mishak? What are we doing with um, Norlinder? Um, Primo, is he getting the reps and, and, and progressing in, in his uh, development as we had hoped, et cetera, et cetera? There are still questions marks about uh, Rocket, though. I mean, there's definitely question marks. I just wonder is a new coach going to change anything in Laval? Is it going to change anything? We know it changed something for the Habs, right? We saw a huge difference last year when St. Louis came in over uh, Duchamp. So it's entirely possible that, you know, they get that new coach bump right off the start. So they start winning a few games, build a little bit more confidence and establish a bit better, uh, you know, more of a winning culture there. And that could potentially have a positive impact on some of the development for some of those players as well. Uh, but again, you, you have some guys already that are doing well, like Anthony Richard, Xavier Simoneau, uh, Jesse Alonen. Jesse Alonen's got, what, 11 points right now in 17 games. He's not breaking the bank in terms of points, but again, you got three young players there that are doing very well. I, I, I don't know if, it's, if there's a rush to change anything. I mean, Anthony Richard is like almost 26, so he, he's... Is he? he? I thought he was yeah. like 24. No, I was going to say, like, he he should be doing well. He was brought in to be, like, a veteran, more, more of a veteran presence, at least. Um, but, but like, I just think that the way that Mark Bergman was hiring coaches, if you look at it, like, look at the track record of it, I don't think that maybe aligns with the way that the current regime wants to run things, considering how they brought in Martin Saint-Louis out of, basically, off the couch, 
it's very similar to the way Indianapolis Colts now now brought in Jeff Saturday to coach the team, right? So I just think yeah. that if they can find someone who maybe Marty speaks highly of, or like someone who is kind of the same the same type, someone who has a lot of experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be you know coaching at a high level, but someone who they believe can talk to the young players in the right way and lead by example, I think they're going to have to take that opportunity and, and just roll with it. Like no one knew if Martin Saint-Louis would, would work at the NHL level. And, and maybe there is a cap at, as well at, at how far he can actually take this team. But I don't think any of us Habs fans look back now and, and see like, oh, I wish they had made a more reasonable coaching change like in in when was it january last year um it was you know kind of off the off the radar like no one expected that to happen and and it did and it has gone very well after that so yeah i think that when you are you know a new regime you kind of want to change things to just you know like and just match the way that uh your you know, long-term views of the team actually, you know, look. And and I think that Hul is kind of in the danger zone just just because of that. Oh, you need you have to have your replacement there as well. You need to know who you're getting before you're firing someone. You cannot just yeah, of course. And that's empty for, for a week. Yeah. Um, and that, I was that's really kind happy of... that they went off the books, though, because yeah. uh, seeing the uh, merry-go-round of, of coaches in the NHL and in many of the European leagues as well, uh, you would hope that there, there would be some movement over the ocean one way or another in order to to exchange ideas anyway um, and, and learn from each other. But uh, we, we'll go down that route. And uh, speaking about crossing the ocean, in a month's time, we're going to be sitting here uh, preparing the final rosters for the World Juniors. And uh, there are some interesting names uh, one of them just scored when I watched Twitter as well. Uh, and we can start with him. Um, Matt, you bang his drum quite a bit. Uh, Logan Mayo, um, can he defend? We know he can score because that is the highlights that are making Twitter. But you watch him and can he defend this time around? Look, the, the concerns about his defensive game are, are well-founded. Right. I, I don't disagree with people who are worried about it, but I've seen improvement from him. His positioning looks better. The more reps that he gets, you got to keep in mind this is a guy that because of the pandemic and then, of course, his suspension, um, he's barely played in the last three seasons. He needs more reps. Now that he's starting to get those reps, you're, you're seeing some progression from him. Is it perfect? No. So the question is, can, you know, can he get into Team Canada? I think that's going to be tough. I don't think Canada needs you know, all out scoring from their defense. So I really don't see them taking a Logan Mayu because if they have any concerns whatsoever about your ability to shut down the other team, I think they're going to leave you on the side because they know that up front, they've got enough firepower to, to score at will, right? Against most teams anyways. Some of the better teams, they might struggle a little bit, but for the most part, they can score at will up front. They're not going to bring an all out offensive defenseman. However, if he keeps playing the way that he is, he might make it tough for them to leave him at home. It, it, it all depends. I mean, he wasn't at the summer camp. Um, and, you know, with the scandal that Hockey Canada has going on right now, they might not want to bring a guy like him that's already got a checkered past. Um, I think he could sneak onto the roster, but it's a long shot. 
I know it's a long roundabout way to answer your question, but uh, I, I think he's a long shot. Uh, but the good news for Habs fans is that there's progression on his defensive game. When that's all at- you can really, yeah, sorry. That's yeah. all you can really hope for at this point, because as, as you were saying, like he, he, you can, if, whether you are a Mayu uh, hopeful or if you are a Mayu, uh, someone who doesn't believe very much in Mayu, that is kind of the case. Like we've been arguing in that when we did top 25 under 25 this summer that, yeah, some people were saying like, oh, he performed so well in the 12 games that he played. And he's only played 12 games. And imagine what he can do in, in 50, 60. But on the other hand, he's only played 12 games. So like you didn't really know what what you were getting because he hadn't played in, in almost two years, like on a you know uh, regular mm-hmm. basis. So yeah, it's just good to hear that he's progressing naturally, like in, in both ends of the ice. We've seen some, some players that for sure will be part of the... Uh... Uh, Finnish team and the Swedish team, and and both of them are are uh, Oliver Kapanen, who is doing quite well in Liga, not as good maybe in in the Five Nations tournament that was uh, last week or previous week before that. But he was uh, there. He was there. Um, still, I'm not sure in which role they will want to uh, use him. Uh, but it's 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 for the future. I'm sure that. Oliver Kaplan will be part of that team, though. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Finland would be stupid not to bring him. Let's be honest about that. Uh, the only thing that will stop him is a, a injury. Uh, Adam Engstrom, and I will be mentioning this in the EPR as well, but Adam Engstrom has been moved down to Ruggles under-20 team. Uh, for the foreseeable future, Ruggles struggling in, in the SHL more than anyone would have guests before the season and uh, they brought in a uh, new defender to help out with that situation and uh, Adam Engstrom was the player that was sent down to the under-20s as I mentioned before uh, 11 points in 7 games though so he shows that he is among the elite talent in that talent pool that is the Swedish under-20s uh, we also have one when we mentioned this just before getting on. We think that uh, there is one other Canadian prospect uh, that is a lock for the Austrian team, though, right? Yeah, we were talking about Vincent Schroeder, uh, the third round pick of this year, and uh, he's been performing very well for, for Ottawa, uh, the Ottawa 67s. So uh, he currently sits at 23 points in 18 games in the OHL. Um, and obviously it's Austria. So like how, how big could the competition really be? And he's already at that end of the pool uh, or, or the pond. Uh, yeah. So it will not be a big transfer to get him there either. No, and he's a big part of Ottawa's success so far this season in the OHL. I mean, he's top three in scoring on that team. Uh, I I think Austria probably, like you said, doesn't have the biggest talent pool. If you're going to leave a guy who's scoring over a point per game in the OHL off your roster, it would be incredibly stupid. No, I think he's probably going to be one of the leaders on that team rather than anything else. Yeah, harder, faster, scooter. Uh, or as we say <laughs> here at Eyes on the Price, harder, faster, roarer. Um, we also have Czechia. Uh, 
and but no no one from that team I was is... gonna say Jan Mishek has aged out now yeah he's played three years in a row but now he's <laughs> and been captain three years right hasn't he? yeah exactly so, maybe he uh... could petition the IIHF and tell him that he's aging backwards get yeah one more, get one more kick at the can however the interesting question we're sure that Philip Mesher will go for Slovakia I'm, I'm all three of us right yeah but there is a huge yeah. question mark when it comes to Juraj Slavkovsky. And if he should yeah. go or if he shouldn't go, if he can, obviously he can go. Montreal can work the, the NHL magic. And uh, I think we as Europeans are well aware of how it works. Your player stays on the uh, NHL roster until the squad is, is uh, done. And then suddenly he gets sent to the AHL again. Um, but but let's say he's free to go. Should he go? I am saying yes at this point. It's a tentative yes, right? I'm looking at you know him playing on the fourth line right now for the Habs. I don't see, like unless that's your plan for your first overall pick is you want him to be a really good fourth liner, I don't see how he's developing necessarily in that role. Um, Mike Hoffman did leave last night's game, banged up, and didn't return. So... I wonder if he misses any time, would they bump Uri Slavkovsky up in the lineup, start letting him play on that third line, um, maybe even up a little bit higher? Do you bump him up on the second line? He needs more minutes, right? If he goes, obviously, at the World Juniors, he would be playing top-line minutes, focal point, power play. He's everywhere for that team, right? I think that there's more value to that than there is in having him on the fourth line. So if there's keeping him on the fourth line, then I would say send him. Why not? It's not like he's gone for the remainder of the season. You're still going to get him back after the tournament and you can reinsert him into the lineup and see where he's at. I think giving him that opportunity to go and play some more international games uh, might reinvigorate him a little bit, might gives him an opportunity to uh, to play really meaningful minutes in a big tournament um, for a team that that is going to struggle without somebody like him. So um, right Maybe now, will I they, though, towards because yes, they but... will. Um, let's see the group here. They will probably beat Latvia. Uh, they should probably beat Switzerland uh, with uh, Nemec and Meshar and other players that are in there. Gorski. But of course, suddenly, if you mm. bring in Slavkovsky, you're probably looking at a semi-final place. Maybe, yeah. I, I was gonna like I was gonna compare it to uh, Cole Caulfield being sent down to Laval last year. Um, when you're having maybe a tough time for obviously Juraj Slavkovsky has had a whirlwind of, of a season from the last year, like from the world juniors and, and the Olympics and, you know, being selected first overall and, and coming into the NHL all of a sudden, like when you are facing these super professionals every night and you're playing every other night in, in the most competitive hockey league in the world, it can be kind of overwhelming, I can imagine, for an 18-year-old. And to be sent to the World Juniors for him would be an opportunity to be among his equals for a couple of weeks and to show himself how much he's grown because obviously he's going to come in there and be the only NHL player or one of the few NHL players, the only NHL player probably from this year's draft. And it will be an opportunity for him to be towering you know ahead above the rest of them and and you know to as you said matt he will play the power play he will play heavy minutes and he will be a focal point all of a sudden instead of being a small 
fish in a really big pond the way he is in the NHL right now. He would be a really big fish in a small pond. And I think that's, you know, crucial for an 18 year old's development to just feel like, oh, look, look how far I've actually come. Even if it can feel like I'm struggling sometimes in the NHL, I've actually grown my game in in so many ways when I compare it to the way that these other 18, 19 year olds are playing. I was uh, invited to participate in uh, Juraj Kralik's uh, Substack. He's a writer for uh, On the Forecheck as well. So uh, one of our colleagues from uh, Nashville Predators. But he is a Slovak uh, writer. So we're a couple of more guys in SB Nation that are Europeans nowadays. And, and I have to say, though, I think Slovakia has more to gain from Slavkovsky joining them than he has by joining Slovakia. He has more to lose. Mm. Injury-wise, which can happen anywhere, let's be honest, but being injured in an under-20 tournament, and let's be honest, they will go hard at him because that's how you deal with him, probably. Uh, and then also, what if he isn't that good? The the media, the fans in Montreal, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there could be a huge backlash as well. Yeah, you're you're a hundred percent right, but there's there's two problems with that, right? It's like number one, like you said, the injuries can happen anywhere. If you're worried about if you're that worried about a player getting injured, then you should probably just wrap them in bubble wrap and and not let him out on the ice in the NHL either. Because he's still got a target on his back in the NHL from being a first overall pick, right? And yes, that target's gonna come with him to the to the world juniors. But then you 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 brought it up, right? It's the the media, the fans are gonna freak out if he doesn't do well. Yeah, they absolutely are. But I don't, I don't think any more than they currently freak out in Montreal, right? It's a tough market to play in. Um, if, if he goes, I don't know, four, five, six more games without scoring another goal or without getting a point, he's probably going to have some people coming down on him anyways, right? I think getting that break, getting an opportunity to go and play against your peers, um, I, I, I think it would do him good. I, 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 get, I see what you're getting at. For sure, Slovakia... Um, has a more vested interest in his participation in that tournament than he does. I don't think he has anything to prove. We've already seen him at the Olympics, at the World Championships, do what he does with men. So I don't think the World Juniors is necessarily a stage that he's going, oh, I have to go and conquer that. But I think it it would be beneficial for him. I'm more of the, the thought process. Like, we know this kid has confidence. What about if he loses confidence going there how would he do mm-hmm. that i mean let's say it doesn't go well. you know it's possible right i i don't see it i think he's he's strong enough even at the nhl level like he, he doesn't look out of place in the nhl i can't see how he would go to that tournament and be bad right he could he's have certainly bad not luck. bad enough to he could have bad luck yeah right? but that's not but if same. he's putting if he's putting six shots on goal every game and he doesn't score enough, right? Let's say, I don't know, uh, six games in the tournament, he scores three goals and has two assists, right? So he's under a point per game. But then you look at the numbers and you go, well, goddamn, this guy put six shots on goal every night. None of them went in. So he got goalied and, you know, maybe he was hitting some posts, et cetera. It's like, that shouldn't kill your confidence. You should be able to look at it and go, well, you know what? I was, I was a catalyst out there. I was, I was affecting positive outcomes for my team through just good work physical play i mean i i think as long as he goes in with the right mindset and he doesn't go in there expecting himself to you know break the tournament scoring record or anything then i think he'll he'll be fine 
I, I think there's there's definitely an aspect there, though. You're touching on something important about not hurting his confidence. Have that conversation with him and let him know, hey, listen, we're not thinking any differently of you if you go out there and don't set the tournament scoring record. We don't need you to go and score in bunches. We just want you to go and, you know, compete the way that you can play well and try to help your country, you know, get and a little bit further fun. than they might would without you. Have fun, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Have some fun and get a lot of minutes in. Whereas right now, I mean, how fun is it on the fourth line in Montreal? I mean, I'm sure he's having a good time. I'm sure playing the NHL is not, you know, it, it's it's not a a Russian labor camp, but you're you're on the fourth line, right? This is a guy like Bobrov said in that in that famous video where they were talking about him ahead of the draft. He's a guy who wants to carry the mail, right? Give him the opportunity to go and carry the mail again. Maybe that reinvigorates him. Maybe he comes back and he starts playing even better. We have a couple of other guys as well. We've got Owen Beck currently playing. Um, he's a lock, right? If he's not a lock, then Canada is off their goddamn rocker. If you don't bring him, you're silly. He is scoring almost a goal per game right now in the OHL. He's elite defensively. So the offense has finally caught up to what he's able to do on defense. He is a perfect player for Canada at that tournament. Um, early projections from some people, cough, cough, Craig Button from TSN, don't have him on the team. That's just silly. Uh, they, they've got to bring that kid, and I think they absolutely will. I, I don't see how Team Canada is not going to see the value in a defensive stalwart that can also put the puck in the net. But I remember Craig Button being the guy that had watched Rasmus Dahlin the most in the whole wide world. So I trust him completely because I had not watched Rasmus Dahlin in practice every day for like six months at that time. Do you do, do you believe that he watched Rasmus Dahlin more than anybody else in the world? I bet you he watched a YouTube video less than most people in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, I don't I, believe I, that guy watches prospects. I don't believe that he does with some of the reports that you read from him. Uh, you know, I don't want to sit here and call somebody out, but you know, he's far more famous than I am. I don't think he actually watches prospects. He writes some things that just seem like it looks like he, you know, read their elite prospects and their hockey DB page and went, okay, this is my opinion. And kind of, I think he's you know, very well. You look connected. at his lineup too. You look at his lineup too. And some of the players that you'll see on there, you'll go, why, why this guy and not this guy. And then you go Google him and you look at their size and you go, ah, okay, right. You're old school. You just want the big boys. You think that Canada is supposed to be a bunch of six foot two, 220 pound beasts who just run people over. That's not what Canada should be. Yeah, they're going to have those players, but you you also have to go and take guys like Jordan Zumet. You have to take guys like Owen Beck. Owen Beck doesn't lack in size. He also is elite defensively and can score. You have to take guys like Joshua Hua. You have to take guys like Joshua Hua. <laughs> you hear it. You hear it. Uh, we, we always have to take Joshua Hua. There should always be a king somewhere on the team, right? Please subscribe. Please fill us some questions. Uh, we'll try to get this regularly out on um, Monday mornings or Sunday nights from for the rest of the season. Thank you guys for listening.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.